0: Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave.
1: I'm afraid I can't do that.
2: Mugwon Tower, Mugwon Tower, this is Albatross 13, requesting permission to land, over.
0: I don't need a computer to tell me how to land a damn airplane. Six.
2: Heads up display, check. Five. Lasers, check. Four. Particle beep, check. Three photon bolts Check. Two. Check
1: control. Check. What? Let's
2: do it. Broadcasting from a secret underground location somewhere in Moss I. This is the Docking Bay 77 Podcast. Make yourself comfortable. The show is about to start. Hello and welcome to the Docking Bay 77 Podcast. I am your host, Dayton Johnson. Joining me this week, we have friends of the show. Once again, Amber Lewis. Hello, Amber.
1: Hi, it's great to be back.
2: And we have Robert Burnett joining us again. Hello, Robert. How are you?
1: I'm great. Thanks. Thanks for having me.
2: Of course. Uh, Before we get to the details of the episode, uh, listeners out there, please do us all a favor. Like, follow, subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. You can also support the show by going to Patreon. Patreon and donate as little as one dollar a month to help for the cost of the show and like to announce we do have a new patreon supporter uh john williams uh not that john williams that would be awesome but disney john is now a supporter of the show thank you john it's been awesome so far okay now on to the episode it is june it's pride month in an honor we're setting our way back machine to 1994 so grab your frock we're climbing a rock that's right It's the Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. You don't mind me asking, what kind of cabaret do you do?
0: We dress up in women's clothes and parade around mouthing the words to other people's songs.
2: I've been asked to do a
0: show out of town. You've got to be joking.
1: I hereby christen this budget Barbie camper, Priscilla. Queen of the desert.
2: You actually make money by dressing up like a woman. You can make a fine living in a pair of heels.
0: But then I spent so many nights
1: How long have we been on the road? Four and a half hours.
0: And I how to get along back. I just I mean, who is the fish that runs this bloody hotel in the middle of nowhere, anyway? Your mother? No, my wife. I'm married.
1: <laughs> Sorry. You got us into this, and I suggest you start thinking about how to get us back. You're not welcome anymore. Oh, it's nice.
2: In an sort of a way.
1: <laughs>
0: Hello.
1: Nice night for it. Where are you, blokes, from? Uranus.
2: Oh, okay. good. <laughs> All right. So Robert has graciously agreed to give us a bit of a history on drag queen. So Robert, please enlighten us.
1: Well, the, the film was revolutionary in 94 and that it kind of opened a world that not a lot of people had seen. But but drag and cross-dressing goes back a long time. Um, and they're kind of distinct segments as well. I mean, there's transvestism, which has more of actually like a sexual aspect and doesn't really concern us here. Um, and then there's female impersonation where a man or woman is trying to, why well, should I say uh, gender impersonation, where a man or a woman is trying to dress to appear to be the opposite sex or opposite gender. Um, for a long time in stage and opera, it was required, as we all know, in Shakespeare's day, they would not allow women to perform on stage because that was nearly the next closest thing to working as a prostitute, was being active. <laughs> Um, and, uh, it wasn't until Charles II that we, uh, were able to have women performers. Um, opera did the same thing with a different timeline. There's still what they call it, the trouser rolls and Mozart operas where a woman portrays a male character. Um, so sometimes the drag was required just by law. Um, uh, often in plays and movies, even up to this day, it's used for disguise purposes really famously right. in some like it hot, uh, where, uh, Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon dressed as women. We as the audience knew they weren't women. It was done for comic effect, but ostensibly they were supposed to be credible women. Um, so disguise uh, was, was a factor. Shakespeare used it as well in um, As You Like It. I would have loved to have been back in the globe in that, seeing a boy playing a woman playing a, a man. Uh, <laughs> it sort of Like a Victor Victoria Hall of uh, Mirrors thing. Um, Disguise sort of evolved as the culture evolved into particularly male performers performing as women, but a particular woman. So you had performers like Jim Bailey and Charles Pierce who were doing Judy Garland or doing whoever. You still see that sometimes where a male performer will do a whole show as Cher. Right. Um, there's not really any commentary necessarily, maybe a little camp. So it's still a more female impersonation, even though it is in drag. Um, An entire ballet troupe uh, grew out that way. The Ballet Troc de Monte Carlo, which is incredible to watch, is a bunch of guys doing perfect, wonderful classical ballet, male and female parts. But they're all men. Wow. Um, Without without any comment. They do the point work. They do all the stuff. It's gorgeous. If you didn't sit too close or use your binoculars, you would think you were seeing men and women dancing. Um, and so, uh, there's that performance aspect, um, the, the playwright Charles Bush uses it a lot too, where he is portraying not a particular Hollywood actress, but it's kind of that old Hollywood vibe in all his shows. He kind of evokes all those actresses. He's obviously a man. It's, it, it's very funny and very clever, but, um, still, still performance. And of course, cross-dressing is used in humor forever. I mean, we have, Milton burrow and Harvey Corman and Bugs Bunny, you know, oh, yeah. they all followed up as uh, women or female rabbits to, uh, for, for comic effect. We weren't supposed to necessarily believe it, it was just to be humorous.
0: Ah! Oh, you can, you villain, you peeping Tom. Can't a girl have any privacy from flying eyes? You beast.
1: Um, we still see that today uh, with Tyler Perry in, in right. the Medea movies. Um, that has kind of gone out of fashion in a way, just because as we get more involved with gender roles and with understandings of things, it, it, it's still out there, but it's not as prevalent in the fifties and sixties, seventies on television, you could channel hop and see Flip Wilson, you know, right. <laughs> all, Geraldine, right. Just all doing their drag stuff. Um, and then finally we came to really what we see in Priscilla again, as cultural culture, got more accepting things broadened to where, It's kind of what I call performative drag, where you're you're dressed, but you're not trying to be a real woman. You're just being a drag queen, right? uh, Which which is very different than, like, some like it hot, where you were supposed to really think Jack Lemmon was that woman when clearly he's not. Um, (laughs) And that really came out of the late '70s, uh, and and with you know the hippie culture was coming on. All these things were happening culturally, um, and all of a sudden the idea of if you were a drag queen or a cross-dresser, you wanted to be a convincing, believable woman, whether you were posing that way in a bar, whether you were on stage trying to be, you know, Judy Garland. Um, And it became more and more outrageous and over-the-top and wild. Um, A lot of people trace it back to a group called the Fabulous Cockettes uh, that were in San Francisco in the 70s that kind of grew out of the uh, hippie movement they spawned the wonderfully named Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, which <laughs> are a group of ridiculous drag nuns who do amazing work for charity. You can still see them all around San Francisco, and now they have chapters all around the country. We are 21st century nuns. I want to tell you a little bit about what it takes
2: to become a sister. You
1: start as an aspirant, and you aspire for a couple of months.
2: We use the term ministry very loosely. Because my ministry is making someone laugh, putting a smile on somebody's face, and raising money for groups that cannot. We have sisters that are very spiritual. Um, We do a lot of outreach work in hospices and hospitals. Uh, We all touch a different aspect of the community and that is our entire ministry.
1: Um, uh, Divine uh, in all the John Waters films came out. Her her first film was in 72 the film everybody knows, Rocky Horror Picture Show, came out in 75, and again, there was Tim Curry in some sort of drag. He wasn't a woman, he wasn't a man, he was just this over-the-top, sparkly, awesome thing. Uh, And um, that kind of got us up to the 90s, uh, where we see two two big pillars of that with um, the film Paris is Burning, the documentary by Jenny Livingston, about the whole ball culture and house culture that started in New York back in the twenties. Um, and now is was so known to us from pose for everybody who watches that show or watched it. Um, and then also in 1990, Madonna did her, her Vogue video, which right. those two things in 90 kind of brought the idea of drag as its own category, this very performative, outrageous, non-realistic thing into its own world. And then, um, Then we got to Priscilla in '94, um, which was kind of the groundbreaker for. I mean, obviously Madonna was known, but this was really the first well-known film that brought this idea. So that we have our three wonderful characters, um, well, two are drag queens, I should say, but uh, who are not trying to look like real women uh, at all, but are this kind of special performative category. And now, of course, gosh, everywhere you look, you know, you've got RuPaul's Drag Race, you've got Pose. It's 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 Becoming not exactly mainstream, but certainly not niche the or 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 underground the way it had been for so long before that, which right. I think is a good thing. It's a good reflection on where we are as as a uh, as a culture.
2: Absolutely. Actually, there is a, actually a bar uh, in town where I live that does actually do drag shows. Uh, I believe every weekend. So this, this is, you know, not really small town, but it's not really a big town. So actually that's kind of impressive. Um, when I found that we moved here, I'm like, Oh, really? That's, that's kind of nice. <laughs>
0: well, and so, this is a very red area. So yes.
2: Yeah. That surprised me when I heard that. Now I, um, you mentioned, uh, people performing as specific, uh, actors or, you know, celebrities or whatever. I got to go see a drag show, um, around the time this came out. Um, I saw a performer who went, uh, from Garth Brooks, to Reba McIntyre. And was wow. convincing in both, and I was I was floored. I could not believe it. It was amazing, amazing.
1: Skinny Garth Brooks, though, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. yeah. that, that would be quite a transformation, otherwise.
2: Well, it was like it took off a layer, and like you just it shed the kind of the weight, and then it was Reba McIntyre. So it was very cool. <laughs> it was very cool. Okay, um, thank you, Robert. Very much appreciated.
1: I hereby christen this budget Barbie camper, Priscilla queen of the desert.
2: This is going to be the understatement of the century. Okay, so uh, now, uh, when and where did you guys see this for the first time?
0: I saw this when it came out on VHS. Um, So shortly after it was in the theaters. And for me, it was kind of part of this. They're not really connected movies, but in my mind, they are. This like trilogy of new Australian cinema that had come out. Um, and I saw strictly ballroom, right. Um, because that was kind of the world that I lived in. I was an ice dancer and, you know, was interested in all of that. Um, so I watched that one first and then saw Priscilla and then saw Muriel's wedding. And so all three of those movies are like the trilogy of Australian cinema where (laughs) it wasn't quite as, like stereotypical as say Crocodile Dundee, Um, (laughs) but, you know, really kind of showed you this quirky slice of sensibility and sense of humor that, that they have, you know, down under. And I, this one was, I love Strictly Ballroom, but this one was my favorite of the three.
2: Right. Right. uh, Like you, I run to mine. It's around the same time because I remember, uh, this hit video around the same same time ish that Tu Wang Fu, uh, thanks for everything Julie Numar was released. so and um if I remember right, I was working at Suncoast when I actually did eventually rent this. and uh, I just remember seeing the preview and Guy Pierce on top of the bus with that long flowing silverish gown on sitting on top of the giant, you know uh, high heel shoe and I'm like, I've got to see this movie. This looks, just looks awesome. So that's when I saw it and it was, yeah. And I remember uh, I did not see strictly Marlon, but I remember Muriel's wedding and I did eventually see that. And uh, so, yeah, I agree with you. That's definitely a a trilogy of, uh, of Australian filmmaking at that time. So, yeah. How about you, Robert?
1: Well, Amber hit the nail on the head. I, 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 same thing. I saw Muriel, I saw this and they were so great because it was so different from like American films. I think part of the charm of both those movies is you couldn't imagine them being made in Hollywood because they're just sort of right. quirky and weird and the pacing and they're kind of episodic and it's just they're great. But I actually, uh, I saw uh, Priscilla in the theater. Nice. Uh, yeah. Um, I was living in Southern California at the time. and uh, Did you see we it in with- Bragg No, no, but, um, <laughs> but no, the, uh, we did, I did see it and it was um, it was great because the, the where we were living was a very mixed audience. So we had a lot of a lot of gay people there, lots of drag queens in attendance. So it was a very receptive house. And uh, during the musical scenes and stuff, people were whooping and singing along. <laughs> and then during the dramatic scenes, you could hear a pin drop. And there were wow. occasional little snivels and, and, and gasps in one corner or other, The you know, the, the theater. So it was really fun. And, and so it, it's kind of hard for me to divorce seeing the first time I saw the movie from kind of the experience, cause it was sort of like drag around or something, you know, like <laughs> around, or something, it would, it would just which is really great, but it was really fun to see that at in that, in that environment, uh, whereas seeing it like a multiplex uh, somewhere in the Midwest, I don't know if I would have had the same reaction to it right. uh, that I would have being part of this sort of celebration in, in, in the theater.
2: See, I'm jealous. I would have loved to seen it in a theater like that. You know, it's always it's always nice when you go to see a movie. um, Everybody's there because they love the subject or uh, that particular franchise. So there's that there's that reaction when it's supposed to be a reaction. You know, I mean, there's not the stupid talking, there's not the stupid laughs. It's you laugh when you're supposed to, you cry when you're supposed to. Yeah, I love that kind of experience of the theater. So awesome. All right, so let's get into a few uh, facts about the movie before we move on to our discussion. Uh, The movie Priscilla was written and directed by Stephen Elliott, uh, mostly known for very small films made and released in Australia. Um, He did have another international film back in 2018 called Swinging Safari, starring Roda Mitchell, Guy Pearce again, and uh, Kylie Minogue. Uh, Priscilla was filmed on location in and around the Outback. Uh, The opening and closing scenes were shot at the Imperial Hotel in, I'm going to ruin this name, Er Erskineville uh, in And the Imperial has been hosting drag shows since 1983 Uh, in honor of the movie. They did rename the restaurant and they call it Priscilla's Uh, some early uh, casting ideas. They had Tony Curtis, Tim Curry and John Cleese all in mind for the part of Bernadette. Eventually, obviously Terrence stamp got the role. Uh, Rupert Everett and Colin Firth were considered for the part of tick before Hugo Weaving was given the option And then uh, it was actually Terrence Stamp that suggested Bill Hunter to play the part of Bob. As we already mentioned, uh, Muriel's Wedding, Bob was actually shooting this and Muriel's Wedding at the same time. So that probably was fun for him. Uh, Priscilla was released in the U.S. on August 10th, 1994. It had a budget of $2 million, and it would go on to make $29 million uh, pretty good for a small movie out of Australia. It did win the Oscar for Best Costume Design that year uh well deserved just for the uh the flip-flop dress alone jeez
0: <laughs> two's company three's a party bernadette my sweet
2: all right so amber likes what you what you like about this movie there's so much so just you know, keep keep it narrow
0: <laughs> oh my god <laughs> um i uh everything um <laughs> I I love their costumes. I love the musical numbers. Um, I think they're done really, really, really well. Um the performances are so amazing to me. Right. Because I already knew Terrence Stamp. Yes. Of course, for nothing else than General Zod. Um, from right. Superman. But he had been in, you know, he's been in a million things. Um, usually playing a villain or a heavy. Right. Um And he is completely transformed. Right. Um, and then I had never seen Guy Pearce or Hugo Weaving. And this was, the I had seen them in anything and they are so, they live so much in their characters that in subsequent movies, like even now, my knee jerk reaction is like, really from Priscilla? You're going to (laughs) be like the matrix. What? Right. Um, you know, but of course, they're so good that, uh, you know, you instantly forget about that. But that that is always like kind of my touchstone for them um, because it made such an impression. Um, and then the other thing I noticed when I was watching it last night is how beautifully photographed it is. Yeah, it really. I mean, the locations are just gorgeous. Um, and I think one of my favorite shots is when they first stop the bus and they're looking and they' to the outback that they're getting yeah. ready to drop into. And you know, unless you've been somewhere, I took a road trip in Oklahoma, which is nothing compared to the outback, but still, like when you all of a sudden look and there's like nothing, right? Like no cows, no trees, It's just grass forever. It makes you kind of agoraphobic for a second, like just how far (laughs) it goes, you know. And if we get into trouble, like, what are we gonna do, right? Uh, You know, so I love this idea of them, you know, going walkabout, right? You know, and really seeing the beauty of the country, um, you know, but also just how desolate it is,
2: yeah, absolutely. And that's, um, idea, like, you. You know, Terrence Stamp was was General Zod for years. So seeing him in this part um, was amazing. And it's really funny. Apparently, he does not watch his dailies. So he didn't know what he looked like until the movie released. Now, when we watched it recently, uh, my wife and I were having this discussion. We've seen women who looked just like Terrence Stamp in this role. So apparently at the end, I guess the makeup uh, person apologized to Terrence Stamp. I'm like, why? He looked like an older woman that I mean, did he? you know, yeah, we know who he is, but as a transgender woman, I bought it. You know, he, I mean, <laughs> I've seen women that look just like him. So I'm like, okay, yeah, that was a pretty good job. But seeing him like that was awesome. And of course, uh, first experience with Guy Pearce. Now, I can't remember in order if I saw Babe first and heard Hugo ah. Weaving. Well, Hugo Weaving was uh, uh Rex. So it's one of those things you don't, put it together until later and then of course you know he's in the matrix and he's in the lord of the rings which is awesome but seeing him in this part he's, he just looks so young and of course guy pierce is in one of my favorite movies of all time la confidential you know oh, playing yeah. a, kind of a, a nerd you know whatever so it was it's great going back and watching this movie and seeing where they eventually uh got to and um I even
0: i think he's the best
2: he's so much fun Three of them. Oh, absolutely! When when they do the musical numbers, uh, he's great. <laughs> yes, and he's just he is fun. He is the kid, and that's what I liked about the performances. Like you have three very uh different personalities, you know, and I think that's what makes it interesting because it's it's also truly a very good road movie. I mean, you know, obviously they're driving, but what happens to them, the people they meet, all their different encounters, and how um through the encounters we have. We get to know each of these characters better, so that's one of the things I really enjoy about this movie. I like a good road movie done well, and this one is definitely done well. How about you, Robert?
1: Um, yeah, performances in the cast absolutely top. And, and to piggyback on what you just said, Dayton, I liked that they were kind of at three different stages in their life because of their ages. So, you right. have the young guy who's kind of young and naive and silly, and anything goes, I, I'm fearless, and you have the one who's been married and has a kid, spoiler. And, um, you know, uh, he's kind of at a, in the middle of his life. And then you have Bernadette who is older and wiser. And so that was a great way to kind of see three characters all the same age or in the same background wouldn't have given us the richness the movie has, I think, Love right. of the performances. But um, well, did you also think, feel
0: like instead of seeing them change during the road trip, you just really saw them shedding layers? yeah so they yeah they thought more of who they really truly are,
1: yeah yeah it was nice no, nobody had to like learn a little life lesson by the end of it and change. Oh. it was just you just episodes and you just got to learn more about them and see them, which was great, so love the cast, and um yeah, Guy Pierce stood out to where my guy Pierce moment wasn't l a confidential, it was memento, and the whole time I was oh watching, yes I was like how did he get out of that dress and end up in this weird movie? Like <laughs> I kind of conflating the two roles and waiting for him to, I don't know. It was weird, but um, yeah, which I guess shows what a great performer he is that he can um, build these roles so well that you right. buy it every time. Um, so yeah, love the cast. And then, um, and I thought, yeah, Terrence Stamp was great. I think he looked great if they tried to make him look quote more like a woman, whatever that would be, it would have worked against his performance Right. it was really his acting and his, his soul, so to speak, that, that made made the role so beautiful rather than just gobbing on makeup and giving him, you know, big wig or something. Um and then of course the costumes were were terrific. Um one of my other memories from when the movie came out, the only Academy Award it won was for best costumes, as I think you mentioned. And right. uh the the uh costume designer whose name I forget, I should know it, but um she uh famously uh received for award wearing a dress made out of American express cards, dress, but it was, with, they're all attached to it, which is this whole sheath of gold American express cards. Um, and it was kind of interesting that the, the movie became a musical years later. It started right. in, in Australia for a little while. Uh, the guy who played Bob in the film, Bill Hunter, he actually played Bob in the musical version, uh, you know, a decade later, but, um, was it was in Australia, came to New York, didn't do great, you know. Um, but it did win the Tony for Best Costumes. It was the only Tony award it won for Best Costumes, and it also won the Olivier Award when it went to London for Best Costumes. It was the only <laughs> award it won in any of the categories, in any of its incarnations. Um, and, and smartly, they did use the same costume designer. She did her same designs across, well, new designs, but she was the same creative that was right. involved in all the projects. And and the flip flop dress did appear in every incarnation. I, it's so iconic that they had to have that for sure. Well, yeah, but yeah. So costumes definitely were a standout, and not just you know the the, the show costume, but just their day to day wear. I, I loved right. I love Bernadette's street clothes because they just made sense for the character. Um, yeah. And uh, and that so that was good. It was easy to be taken in by the you know foam rubber wigs, but but uh, all, all the costuming was really on point. I thought.
2: Yeah, I love when they get to that first town and they uh uh that's when uh uh Tick wears the um the flip-flop dress around town. I mean, I, they walk out there, I'm just laughing. I'm like, oh my god, how do they even walk around in that stuff? And that that thing that Guy Pierce was wearing on his head, it looked like it looked like well, Plato.
0: I, <laughs> I, I don't know how high those heels were, but he right? ends up the tallest of the three of them in that scene. So his heels were like ginormous.
1: Yes. I also really loved the emu costumes that we see in those performances because you, you see the close-up of, of the face first and you're like, oh, some kind of like hood thing. And then they show the reveal of all three of them with these ridiculous bird heads, four feet higher than their heads. It, it was it was a laugh out loud moment for sure. Yeah,
2: there's, there's some that are just truly, that whole uh, that whole performance at that hotel, those outfits are just, you know, off the rails. So, but very, very awesome though. Very awesome. Let's talk about the soundtrack for a minute. I mean, obviously you had some uh, drag staples for sure, but as far as, I mean, it's a pretty solid soundtrack all the way through. I know initially they wanted to have uh, a Kylie Minogue song be the final song, but then they uh, obviously went with uh, the ABBA song, which made a lot more sense, and that's what they decided too. Um, But yeah, I love the soundtrack. How about you guys?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I I like the mix of modern stuff, and there are some jazz standards and pieces, the 50s as well. So it's not just locked into one one genre of music or one type it gives us a nice breath
0: but i can't get vitamin love ah. with that doggone sun above i don't care if the sun don't shine i get my loving in the evening time when i am with my baby it's no fun with the sign around but I get going when the sun goes down and I am my baby
2: that's yeah,
0: one you, you know just kiss, kiss, one big ABBA soundtrack which <laughs> with that but <laughs> there's so much else that is you know fabulous and you had some disco in there and I love the scene with, um, with Felicia on the roof with the opera right like
2: i love that so yeah i, love I like the, the
0: diversity
1: like yeah you're so, well, well yeah they're, they're, go, ahead,
2: go ahead i was gonna say the perform the the song they do during the uh the credits um it's it's real subtle i mean it uh was it saved the best for last and she's just mm-hmm. sitting there in, in almost like silhouette at first and it's just considering all the music we heard to that point um, I thought that was a beautiful way for the movie to go out. I really did. I thought that was a great choice. I'd forgotten about it until I we watched it in the credits world I'm like, oh yeah, and i I sat there and watched the whole thing because I'm like, that's a, that's just it's a great song number one. But also, you're kind of like, it does. I mean, it doesn't fit, but it does, you know. And that yeah. was it. And the the performer looked amazing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, and I, I think love- that was like the art director or one of the producers or something. It was somebody involved with the production.
2: That doesn't surprise me.
1: I like the scene too where they uh, did their performance in front of the uh, indigenous people at the yes. Oh my me. gosh, that is my absolute favorite scene. <laughs> I know. And then all of a sudden, you've got the didgeridoo going, and like all the people are chanting, and it's like it was again. It's just that weird Australian quirkiness where like I just was like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen, and yet <laughs> I'm going with it, and I'm loving it, and it's believable, you know. Right. Which is, Yeah. I love that. That's
2: a great scene. That is a great scene.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So great.
2: So Amber said that you, that's your favorite scene.
1: Absolutely.
0: When the aborigine guy like showed up in front of Priscilla and was just like, nice night for it. I like, I (laughs) literally (laughs) fell off the couch. I was hysterical and I love that whole sequence of, you know, people that are outside of, you know sort of the controlling culture of australia right you know just enjoying each other
2: yeah it's a fun scene I, I, like especially when he mentioned the, the music the didgeridoo and everything and yeah that's <laughs> and you're because because at that point you're kind of think before he pops up you're thinking how long are they going to sit there how long are they going to be stranded so uh when he uh, you're right you know nice night for it i just you're right i just started laughing too. <laughs> yeah, so
0: it's, it's such a great line it is a
2: great <laughs> line absolutely great line Oh, so good. Okay, so Robert, do you have a favorite scene, something that sticks out to you?
1: Well, probably that scene as well, but the other scene, because it, it, it works against the film in a lot of ways, but but is when they're in that mining town. Yes. Uh, and just the, the homophobia and the violence, it's so horrible to watch, but it it, it was a nice little dose of reality. Yeah. Uh, amidst what, what kind of was like, no pun intended, a fairy tale, well, where you've got this like nasty macho culture that is just the exact opposite of the indigenous people who, as said, were welcoming and like, okay, they're not us, but cool, let's all make music. Right. These guys were violent and narrow-minded and it was a great break from kind of the fun and the quips and the candy of the rest of the movie to have that. So I um, really liked that scene, especially. And I also just loved the, later in the film uh, where Tick's son is just kind of like so blase about the whole right. thing, anguish right. about telling his son what he does and telling, and you know, the little boy's like, oh, and mom had a girlfriend for a while and whatever, and let's go play, you know, which, right. like, which is great. It kind of, hopefully, you know, here we are 30-odd years later almost, and hopefully it is, you know, the, the two scenes juxtaposed where we have the older generation that's still kind of narrow-minded and, and horrible, and we still see that today right and then luckily it looks like the younger generation is kind of like it's part of their world uh florida notwithstanding and uh <laughs> they um you know are like it doesn't matter it's fine so it was a nice contrast of, of the then and the now i think but yeah still holds, still holds true 30 years later we haven't moved forward a whole lot but right. those two scenes i liked especially
2: yeah i actually i love the picnic scene where the whole family goes out and uh yeah the relationship that you you get a little bit where they're playing uh charades and um tick has that conversation with his son and he's he doesn't want to dress up and then he starts talking to him and you can kind of see the his walls drop like okay i can be comfortable around him it's going to be okay he picks him up and they go get dressed and they they climb the mountain all the way up to the top in their outfits and stuff and he i like that because it's like he finally all those fears went away All he was so afraid what his son was going to say and all of a sudden he's like no, I'm good. This works. So yeah, that's actually one of my favorite scenes. Cause it's nice, not quite ending to the movie, obviously, but, um, that's kind of where his character needed to get. And I really thought that was very appropriate. I really liked that scene. Now a very close second is Adam's story about his uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I had forgotten all about that. So when it came on, I just, I, I missed I, I was laughing as hard as they were when they came back to the bus. I was laughing so hard, although I wasn't drooling like uh, Hugo Weaving was, but I was still laughing very hard. That was just amazing and hilarious. So that at a young age, Adam, was that that smart and how to handle people like that. So I thought that was great. Sean. so quickly do you guys have any dislikes with the movie i mean robert kind of mentioned mine i kind of didn't like seeing the dead kangaroos from time to time like in the back of the truck and then also at the the cookout before uh um the whole homophobia scene takes place uh that kind of bothered me and um
0: yeah but you have to keep in mind they're like squirrels
1: there i I know
2: that i know that but i didn't necessarily want to see it but (laughs) either way
1: well, it was a great contrast, though, with the very artificial world the fellows lived in. Um, with right. like, this is the nasty, dirty, rusted, dead animal world is also <laughs> awesome here. You know, right, right.
2: Now, as awesome as the scene is, like you already mentioned with the with the outfits at the hotel, um, all those outfit changes during one song. I was like, um, I don't think that's physically possible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean the, the outfits were awesome but I'm like cuz then my brain started to go was that multiple nights that they did this or cuz I tried to rationalize how they did <laughs> it. So it 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 just took me out of the scene a little bit too much cuz I was trying to figure out how they did it and I don't like to you know like those are not easy outfits to change especially the 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 dinosaur dragon one with them when they were sticking their tongues out in the, the I which was like I said all the outfits were amazing but there's no way they're getting changed that quick. So I was like, uh, is that the whole two weeks they were there or what? So anyway, sorry. I know it's small, but that was one of the few things that kind of distracted me. Uh, how about you, Amber? Anything you don't like? Anything?
0: Um, women do not come off very well in this movie. And so I take umbrage with that because...
2: I thought uh, his wife came off very well.
0: Uh, yes. But I yeah. mean, you the whole movie and you just have... The crazy butch chick in the first bar and then you've got the stripper that bob was married to who's an absolute lunatic um you know and there weren't very many you know like the men mostly didn't seem bothered that there were drag queens in their midst
2: yeah
0: you you get to the mining town they just kind of seem like well this is weird but whatever
2: well, even the, um, well, even the first hotel, when they went out to their bus the next morning, it was painted on.
0: It was, but that could have been that crazy one.
2: Well, no, she was probably still drunk though.
0: Right. She's still passed <laughs> out on
2: the floor. Drunk, <laughs> and drank um, her into the table.
0: So, you know, and then the only other like significant female character, which I do love this callback is that crazy jogger that was like <laughs> jogging across Australia and then every now and then she just pops back up in the outback <laughs> towing her little trailer. Um, that was funny, but I just, um, you know, that bothered me, but I liked it. It was kind of redeemed, like you said, at the end, because, uh, you know, Tick's wife is just awesome and yeah. in, not in some, you know, revolutionary way. She's just a normal, kind, accepting person. Right. You know, he's raising a good kid. So it does redeem that. But I didn't like that it was just crazy women otherwise.
2: <laughs> How about you, Robert?
1: Well, I'm going to push back on Amber a little bit and say, yeah, I, I thought about that, particularly with, with Bob's wife. But almost all the male characters, including our principals, were really these like exaggerated cliches as well. So I feel like the whole movie, it wasn't like a reality that was what we see every day day with normal people and then there were these horrible harridan freaky women they brought in i mean most of the men were pretty strange too starting with the, the dead husband of bernadette with trumpet there's like a trumpet <laughs> laying on his casket and you know he was i mean the, the film pokes fun and is, is i think kind of a, a big cartoon in a lot of ways even though it had dramatic sequences uh so i i didn't feel like they were singling women out for ridicule because some of the men were hateful and bigoted and some, I mean, even much as we love Felicia, Guy Pierce's character was pretty much a straight up cliche of the like drug taking, you know, workout tanning booth, little twink, pretty boy, you know, <laughs> so everybody, everybody got, got made fun of equally. Um, I, I think. And, uh, and I think fringe characters tend to be the ones you can be a little bit more extreme with too. Whether whether it's a new movie or it's it's you know Charles Dickens or whatever the, the main characters are kind of the normal ones and as you get further and further out they get weirder and weirder right um but but my biggest dislike uh, in in the film it's going to sound kind of counterintuitive but I don't like most of the their performances their their, their lip sync performances because theoretically we're told that they're great and he you know I take Mitzi is, is this big star. And except for Guy Pierce, the actors look awkward and <laughs> they don't really seem invested. They look especially there's a number toward the end, I forget which song it is, but like Terrence Stamp is literally like stamping. He's just like kind of <laughs> clodding along <with> arms <laughs> out and like you know, um uh, I feel like there could have been it would have been a more believable film if that's possible, uh for such a Weird one, but it, if the the they had been really invested and given really sensational performances. I think if you had edited out just their their onstage scenes and watched it, people would have been like, God, these guys suck. I see better on TV every week. Um and yet, you know, <laughs> well, anyway, but I'm gonna push back on that because
0: It's kind of <laughs> like like somebody who's really good in community theater, like they're not gonna be on Broadway. But he know, was in they're, Sydney. they're the best that their little
1: town has to offer. But no, but they were in Sydney. Uh, you know, and I love speaking of costumes, when they made the opera house out of the hoop skirts. That oh my God, it, I died. Right. But they were in Sydney and they talked about their very famous ABBA routine and they, they had all those well-wishers saying goodbye to them. So I feel like Mitzi especially, because, you know, Felicia was new, new, newer to the act. Mitzi especially should have been really really on point and fabulous and you couldn't take your eyes off her and you know there there's hugo doing his best with his his glitter lips and his, his big eyes and it wasn't he wasn't charismatic he wasn't funny he wasn't winking he just was doing it and right. so i i i thought if that had been turned up a little bit more it would have really anchored the film for me a little bit differently
2: well, actually to your point, um, since uh Bernadette was one of the original lay girls, I mean maybe her performance maybe I think at this point she's just tired because she even made the comment, yeah. I've done this before. I've done this before, <laughs> you know. And yeah. so I I so I but I do see your point. I do see your point. Because they're, towards the end that the She's well, out that, of
0: practice too.
2: Well, yeah, yeah. You
0: yeah, know, she hasn't been performing, you know, every night like Mitzi has.
2: Yeah. yeah. she definitely looks bored during the last performance, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> almost like i'm just doing this as a favor (laughs) um so uh were you guys able to narrow down a favorite character because i struggled with this at first but then i i I like my ultimate decision but uh, amber do you have a favorite
0: i i love bernadette
1: now listen here you mullet why don't you just light your tampon and blow your box apart because it's the only bang you're ever going to get, sweetheart.
0: I just really just connect to her soul. Um, But I really love, like, all of them, you know, in different ways. I mean, I've been blessed enough, you know, to have um, different gay people in my life and different personalities, and each one of them reminds me of somebody else. Right, well, yeah. I definitely love them all, you know, but Bernadette really, like, I don't know. I just
1: feel like I understand her the best.
2: All right. How about you, Robert?
1: Also Bernadette um, in, in large part due to Terrence Stamp's performance again, just, just so great. And always believable. And uh, even w- when she was being ridiculous and, and, art <laughs> and catty. Uh and uh, I was really rooting for her, you know, yeah. when we first meet her, you're kind of like, well, who is this old broad and what's real. And by the end of it, you know, she's taking a chance and she's trying to move on. Uh, and I just, I just, just hung on everything she said. And, right. and the performance was so nuanced that, that there were these great layers where you could see, you know, the, the tiredness underneath some of the things, or or the the, the you know, to your point, being bored. Uh, but so so yeah, this, this Bernadette was great.
2: Yeah. See, I struggled between all three of them at different times. Then I decided to. <laughs> I'm going to go outside the box. I chose Bob. Now, I have multiple reasons why I chose Bob. Um, number one, it was halfway through his part in the movie where I realized why I recognized him so much. It wasn't Muriel's wedding. It was the dentist from Finding Nemo. What the? Ah! Well, that's a Aww. long way to pull a tooth.
0: <laughs>
2: I'm like, oh, my God, that's the dentist from Finding Nemo. I Because lo- I started looking him up, and I'm like, no wonder his voice is so familiar i've only seen that movie 30 times so uh that jumped out at me but then i like how uh and even bernadette calls him a gentleman he's a nice juxtaposition to most of the other men they've encountered throughout their journey you know he's very accepting um he's very friendly he's courteous he's the exact opposite of a lot of the ones we've met you know and even some of the women we've met so i kind of like his role in there and also how it does give bernadette a second chance at what she wants you know she even makes the comment early on that she spent you know all of her money and half her life trying to find a sympathetic guy well now she found one without even looking and so i like his place in this whole story so he's in also he has a nice he's working that nice little ponytail in the back so you know i i like a uh, I liked uh bob's character a lot
1: he, he was my runner-up and his role served a really good function because he was kind of the surrogate for the audience in a lot of ways, too. Right. Most people do not come from the drag world and uh, the Australian drag world on top of that. And so it, it so often happens in films and things. The, the audience need to have a surrogate. You can kind of go, well, that person's normal. I I can imagine knowing that person. <laughs> and and his, his acceptance and his reactions uh, let the audience like and 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 understand the characters in a way that, that if we did not have that char- sympathetic character i don't know we would have felt the same way right and he comes into it kind of late usually those kind of fish out of water kind of stories you you get that audience surrogate sort of get early on the person who's out of their depth or doesn't know what's going on or 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 is is there for the, the main character and and he comes into it a little ways in right. uh which which is great And all of a sudden the movie kind of balances out from all these crazy fast paced little episodes of banter and, and and slang and stuff to kind of a, a more real reality. Uh, and and so, yeah, he, it's a really nice gravitas to his role and and how his character serves the story.
2: Yeah. I, I was afraid there uh, when um, Felicia was getting attacked that he wasn't going to do anything. And I remembered that he, no, he does stop the whole thing. So um which shows courage cuz he 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 knew the type of people that were around at that point point. and so he even makes a comment that he's not going to be welcome there anymore so um but he knew what was right and that that adds uh, gives him more points i think so
1: in a weird coincidence today's new york times um has a big article about cooper Petey, the, the the town that they were in when the attack took t- right it, it, it- a real mining town, they, 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 they opal mines are there. And it is like apparently still like the old Wild West. <laughs> uh, people throw dynamite at the movie screen at the drive-in if they don't like the movies. I mean, it's just crazy pants. And people, because there's opals everywhere, there's not like a mining industry, just all these weird whatever the Australian for redneck is, people go out there and start digging in the ground. Um, and it's so hot and so barren out there that they actually a lot of the people and a lot of the buildings, even a church are underground or like built into the hillsides. Oh, wow. It's just so hot all the time. And they don't usually have electricity because of all the problems. So, so it's just weird. I opened the paper this morning and I'm like, I know that town. I just <laughs> saw that movie last night. And it's it's <laughs> a real place and it is just as scary and weird as it was in the movie.
2: <laughs> so it hasn't, it hasn't gotten any better. Got it.
1: Not okay. At all. No.
2: I will not visit that town when I go to Australia. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. Um, So how about um, a favorite outfit?
1: Come on, girls. Let's go shopping.
2: Because there's quite a few to choose from. Amber?
0: I am torn between um, the silver outfit that Guy Pierce wears um, on top of the bus. And then I like the green outfit that Hugo Weaving wears when he's just kind of rehearsing after the bus broke down and
2: oh right okay right
0: off to save him he only wears it that one time, um, and uh, Felicia makes fun of him for it but I really liked it I I thought it was cute
2: yeah actually the sh- uh that sequence with uh, Guy Pierce on top of the bus uh they actually got lucky um, because when they were getting ready to shoot it um, a big sustained gust of wind came up to make sure that the whole thing elongated for otherwise it was just kind of dragging behind the bus so they only had like the one chance to really get a good couple of shots of it because of the wind so i thought that was you know it was it must have been the, meant to well, be because he of, does it again in like a pink outfit but
0: that just doesn't make the same impression. yeah it's
2: also a lot smaller than the silver yeah. but yeah you're right you're right it doesn't have the same impact i just remember that specific one uh from the trailer and things like that so um so for me it's either that love- one
0: at the oh. end, where it turns into the Sydney Opera House, because I didn't realize it at first. Right, and then it clicked. I was like,
1: "Oh my god, that's the best thing
2: ever." Those, I mean, those outfits at the end, like I said, are they're amazing. But I still think it's either the silver one or it, I, my brain. It's just that the flip flop dress is burned into my brain. It just because I'm like, who thought of that? And that's amazing to think of that idea. That's. Just, and oh man so i'm i'm going with the flip-flop dress that's just got to be my favorite it's just there so how about you robert
1: um silver dress came close but then i was thinking well how could you wear it if you weren't on top of a bus in a giant (laughs) pump? you know i mean like that's like out met balls to met ball
0: location specific yeah right yeah
1: that's true but blessed i mean what a great image with that gorgeous australian landscape i mean it just was iconic but I liked, and it's only on screen for a couple minutes, but um, Felicia has like this weird black and white kind of jacket dress thing. I don't even know how to talk about it. It's one of the times they're, they're camping out in the, uh, the desert. Fantastic. Oh, that when he asked them how
2: how the girls want their little boys?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. He, gets lo- he
2: gets locked out. That's right. Okay. Yeah.
1: I know yeah, what you're talking yeah. about. And there's that little black and white weird jacket. I'm like, sure, that's what I'd wear in the desert. You know, like a little <laughs> well, mini jacket with fur or feather trim and all. I mean, it's like, but no, it stood out because it was just like so so funny and sweet and just odd. uh I like that one a lot. All
2: right, all right, very cool. Yeah, that's a that's a great scene when he and they lock him out and he sings at the top of his lungs. was <laughs> just man. Now, oh. Was he
1: sleeping? Was he sleeping in a tanning booth or what was that thing? Yeah, underneath, yeah. underneath a the water. bench.
2: Yeah, he yeah. he slept yeah. underneath uh underneath Bernadette's bench. Yeah.
1: But it looked like it was a tanning booth too, or was it? It is. It was. It doubles.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because I was like, "Is that a coffin? Like, are we going that dark?" And then there was the scene after he got beat up when uh, Mitzi was teasing him and he couldn't argue back, right? Because his jaw was held shut. No. Um. And then you realize it was a tanning booth.
1: Yeah. Well, they they, didn't. Didn't they just buy the bus before they left? My question is, like, what bus has a Hidden coffin tanning booth on it, like I did. Anyway, that,
2: it seems it the, seems to me they did a lot of work. The
1: movie a little bit there too. It wasn't yeah. like they had this bus for years and built it to their specifications or something. It was just like, oh yeah, that's the a standard bus feature. You
2: know? <laughs> it seemed yeah. to me like they outfitted it a little bit before they left because yeah. it was com- it was completely empty when they bought it. So uh, that's um,
1: true. That is true. I guess. Yeah. So,
2: I. Uh, I. If I'm if I'm going to drive a bus across the outback, you better believe I'm going to fix it up <laughs> for comfort because that's a long drive. <laughs> oh man uh, well i'm not sure how if i'm gonna ask this or uh because robert apparently didn't like any of the performances so did, did you have a favorite the favorite or performance
1: i i, I will survive
2: that, okay that, okay
1: and, and i didn't dislike them i just thought that what we were seeing didn't match what we were being told
2: okay that but, makes sense um, that makes the, sense
1: the, the, no but yeah, i will survive with just joyous and fun and and just it really you couldn't take pull that out as a music video it was so great
2: okay amber
1: Um, I don't know, I love them all. I think
0: they're all just great in their own way. Um, but I really like the opening number because for some reason, like to me, it said like 13 year old girl alone in her bedroom (laughs) kind of vibe. (laughs) And I just thought it was so funny that like this was his closer, like he's doing this very dramatic thing. And then the one, I don't know if it was guy pierce or not but the one drag queen came out holding like a rubber duck
2: yeah uh yeah that was that was guy pierce it took me a second viewing to realize that was him
0: and i just thought that was hysterical so just i don't know it was just the silliest thing so i liked that that was the opening to the movie
2: okay all right um i'm actually gonna go with the final one when they do abba at the end because uh to robert's point i kind of feel like that's the first time we actually got mitzi who seemed like she was actually doing a pretty good performance. Mm. You know, she she seemed a little more invested and um and was uh, actually working well with Felicia. So I really like that performance and um it that one I believe, not the multiple changes at the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to let that one go. Anyway, yeah. It's 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 definitely a very enjoyable movie, a lot of fun. So, um now where are we at as far as i know you went through some of it in your history um and with uh you know RuPaul's show and stuff like that um is has hollywood done a better job in representing uh drag queens and that in transgender and the that whole thing has hollywood done a better job since 1994 where do we think we're they're better off than they were then it was just like the start of that change
1: I'm going to say they're doing the same job, just more of it. Um, okay. I, I think we're seeing. I, I don't know that the culture is evolving as fast as, as the movies are. So, in a good, good way, it, it's great that we have streaming channels and we have, you know, uh, Netflix and everybody doing all these great shows with non-binary characters and transgender characters and, and so on. But I don't think it's it's penetrating to the people who don't want to hear it, um, and it may never do right. that. Uh, so so that it is more commonplace, I think, is terrific. Um, and and yeah, we've gone a long way since like the children's hour, where the lesbian had to commit suicide, and this movie where the gay man had to commit suicide, and this other movie. It were, you know, but we're past the sort of the tragic gay character and the tragic right. drag queen. Um, but then and, and i think you know i have to single out pose just because it did such an amazing job of doing kind of a warts and all story where, where it didn't burnish these people and say they were flawless and exceptional uh it just showed them as just human uh which was great um okay. so i think things are changing um but um i don't i don't really know how exactly how it could get better uh until it, it is something that we don't have to talk about Okay. Um, you know, that, that would be great. Um, but, but I don't know that we're necessarily seeing better representation. We're just seeing more of it, which is a good thing. But,
2: okay. Uh, okay. Well, I know, I know there for, a, for a little while, it seemed like there was a run in Hollywood. I mean, we mentioned uh, obviously this one and you had Two Wong Fu. And of course you had the bird cage, which is a remake. Um, and it seemed like those, those came out relatively close together. And as far as feature films, I don't think we've seen, too many in recent years am i wrong
1: well the hairspray but that isn't super recent
2: well no yeah that that was still i that mean was, well they did the remake of hairspray that's true so
1: yeah the, the musical one right travolta. yeah that that one was not super recent but it, it, it's not in the 90s at least okay
2: yeah I, I was thinking the original one so i completely forgot about the, no, no, the no. new one with, yeah, with no. travolta so how about you amber what do you think
0: um i agree i was struck Watching it um, when you got Bernadette's like flashback to when she was a child and it was played funny, you know, that, oh, you're switching the tags on the on the Christmas presents. Right. So uh, her sister got um, the dump truck and she got the doll, you know, Um, and I was I kind of felt like, well, this movie is just as relevant now as it was back then. So I guess to Robert's point, like, I guess culturally we haven't evolved to the point where, Oh, we don't even think about it anymore. And transgender people are just who they are. And, you know, this, this movie could hold up, you know, right now to people that don't understand and, um, you know, could use some enlightenment. So I guess that's a good thing. And it shows how great the movie is. Yeah. Um, not dated, but then it's also a sad thing culturally that, um, you know, we haven't evolved past any of that.
2: Right. Uh, no, I, I, I do agree with, uh, Robert's comment about streaming services because one of my favorite shows on Netflix, is That's education, which addresses a lot of those, uh, issues and it's just such a great show and great characters and everything. So I think, um, maybe that's just a, a better way uh to get more stories out there um you know i like i said feature films uh i don't it's i mean this wasn't a huge draw i mean it made 29 million but i think a lot of that was um you know not necessarily i mean 29 million is not a lot of money by <laughs> by you know typical comparisons but still for a movie that cost 2 million that's pretty successful i you know i guess that's in my portrayals of the characters of that of those of you know transgender characters and whatever i think that's gotten better um you know like hollywood's not treating it like we mentioned as a, as a joke i mean like i said i grew up watching bugs bunny dress up as a woman all the time and and you know you mentioned Martin burl and all these and so i think we've like you said for the most part gotten away with that gotten away from that except for tyler perry um maybe he needs to be told um but uh i i'm happier now but you're right Amber this movie is just as relevant today as it was then, so we're seeing more just not
0: well, and I think streaming, like the disappointing thing with streaming is that yes, there is a wider world, but you have to be willing to go look for that wider world like you right. can very easily on streaming services just stay in your own little pocket so you're not really reaching other people
2: right. right? And I don't know what
0: the answer to that is, but you know, so to your point, like I think streaming does provide like a broader spectrum, but people have to, you know, kind of fall into that.
1: Well, and that's the thing I was going to say is that, yeah, is that, you know, we're not seeing, as Dave was saying, we're not seeing a lot of theatrical Hollywood releases with big name stars.
0: Well, and when you have, you know, the same people in charge, they, you know, I just read an article about um, Jerry Bruckheimer where he said, You know, studio heads want the same 10 guys for every movie. And so you do have some mainstream actors that want to stretch and that would be advocates for broader storytelling. And that might be how you get a bigger audience Mm -hmm. into some of these alternative stories. Um, But the people in charge have to be willing to pay the money, you know, to make that content.
2: Right. Well... Maybe what we ought to do is, uh, you know, these big name actors that get these giant paychecks, why don't they fund the movies themselves? You know, if they're willing to put those stories out there, I'm sure they can afford it. You know, if they're getting $20, $30 million a movie, why can't they take part of that and make a movie? Because the because the stories we're talking about don't require a lot of visual effects and, you know, on you know, different sets or whatever. I mean, maybe they should fund those. I'm always a big fan of supporting the smaller independent movies. As much as I love the big budget ones or whatever, but I also... Um, will if i have a choice i will love to see the smaller ones you know make the money and get the rewards um because usually they have better stories but anyway all right so any final words on the movie before we give it a rating
0: i just think it has you know it's one of those movies that you think it's a one joke movie um and it has so much emotion and so much heart and so right. much
2: you know, just
1: loveliness to it, okay. Robert. Um, that was kind of what I'm going to say is I'd forgotten how rich it was. I right. kind of remembered the, the, the big costumes and the silly, silly performances, and forgot how really dense it is. And now they, they have so many episodes that uh, that was great to see again.
2: Yeah, and rewatching it because I you know hadn't seen it since it hit video. Um, there's only a few things I remembered and going through this again, I'm like, man, there's a lot of really good storytelling in here. Um, like you said, that we've kind of forgotten about and uh, there's a lot going on. So, um, you, you know, Amber, to Amber's point, you're right. It's not just um, a bunch of gags in a row. There's actually uh, characters and development and story. So it's a lot of fun. And if you can get past uh, what things might bother you, you'll see that there. it's a good story about human beings just trying to make their way. So. All right. Um so relatively new thing giving movies ratings. Uh your choices are uh never again, stream it, buy it used on DVD, buy new DVD or go all out and buy the 4K Blu-ray. So Amber, what rating would you give it?
0: Um I the only reason why I would buy the 4K special deluxe is what kind of like Extras does it have.
2: Okay. All right.
0: For me, my my true uh rating would be buy it used on DVD. Okay. Um, but if there were like some really spectacular making of costuming, makeup, you know, all of that, you know, interviews with the actors about how they created their characters and things like that, like I would totally go all in for
1: a deluxe edition.
2: All right. How about you, uh, Robert? What kind of rating um, are you giving it?
1: buy used dvd um okay. the the used part just because i i am very uh, very green or try to be so i'm like let's not make a new dvd we right okay one out there i can get but but um and and i actually was looking into that because i enjoyed it so much i was like i think i need to get this because i love bonus features so right. much i the one thing i i don't like about streaming and, and all that is I want to see all those great documentaries. And I found uh, one of the anniversary editions of this on DVD that is coming to me from Amazon uh, has a <laughs> bunch of deleted scenes because it was done very episodically with all these little contain- self-contained bits and moments and things in their journey. There's about half hour of the film that didn't make the final cut of just okay. more, more time spent with our three characters between Sydney and Alice Springs. And I really, really want to see that uh because i just enjoy enjoy those characters and want to see what else comes out of their mouths uh rude <laughs> or not you know um so, but yeah so buy, buy used dvd is my vote as well
2: yeah actually that's gonna be that's gonna uh, three for three um buy used i've actually <laughs> been it's on my uh my uh, half price books wanted list like whenever time we go in now i'm looking for <laughs> that see if i can find it um if i can't find it there then maybe i'll uh, break down and go through amazon but uh it's one of those that I remember when I scheduled this episode, I was like, okay, well I have to find it now. And uh, it was only streaming on Pluto. So um, I thought that was uh, kind of sad and interesting at the same time. And it reinforces my uh, feelings about streaming versus physical media. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a fun movie. I probably won't watch it all the time, but I, you know, next time I want to watch it, I definitely want to have my own copy. So I'm going to, I'm going to give it a buy used DVD. So
1: I have a random question for you guys. Uh, we we streamed it through uh through Prime um because I couldn't deal with the commercials on Pluto, <laughs> but um both the versions I I started to watch the one I actually finished watching had subtitles that I could not turn off. Did did the uh one you watched have subtitles?
2: No, not on Pluto.
1: Yeah, no. Well, yeah, Amazon and uh uh Canopy both both had subtitles that would not <laughs> yeah. I, I went through
0: Prime and I actually turn i'm ashamed to say turn the subtitles on because i just couldn't i don't know i wasn't in a place to decipher australian (laughs) (laughs) and i usually am very good at that and don't use subtitles a lot um but last night i guess was not the night so i turned them on (laughs) and plus i didn't want to miss anything right to get all the gags so i i turned them on deliberately
2: see that reminds me of when um I was living at home and my parents were trying to watch the commitments and they called me upstairs to translate because they couldn't understand the <laughs> Irish. <Yes. laughs> and I'm like, I started laughing. I was like, all right, I'll watch it again. English sure, why not?
0: With you. <laughs>
2: yeah. So anyway, that's fun. Okay. Oh man, that's hilarious. All right. Thank you, Amber, for joining me.
0: Thank you. It was fun.
2: Thank you, Robert. Appreciate it.
0: Oh, so much fun. Thanks.
2: All right, and uh, i like to thank the listeners for stopping by and listen to what a, a bunch of friends have to say about all kinds of fun stuff because it's a lot of fun doing it, and it's nice to know that people stop by to hear uh, what we have to say. So um, do yourself a favor. Watch more movies. And when it comes to watching movies, physical media is better than streaming. We will talk to you guys next week. Thank you. The Donkey Bay 77 podcast is produced and edited by Dayton Johnson. Recorded with Rode Pod Mics, the Zoom Pod Track P4, and edited on Audacity. Opening music provided by Eric Jason Brock. You can find him on YouTube and Bandcamp. Thank you for listening.
1: the sweet nothings into my ear. A motorcycle cop. Motorcycle cop is a sweet nothing? A motorcycle cop is chasing us. <gasps> oh.
0: Hey, Dr. Teeth, you better pull over. Hey, easier done than said.